The pollution. The pollution. Oops, Freudian slip. <laughs> the solution. <laughs> the solution will not be found in politics. As you would say, the pollution is in the politics. <laughs> <laughs> pollution. I think we're going to have to record that one for prosperity. Mark, hi, good morning. And it's been a hell of a week. It has, it has. Tell me all about it. Well, you know, it's Russia, 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 and then rush back, rush back, rush back. But <laughs> it was the solstice, so things are getting warmer and warmer. But let's start with Russia, too. Eh? All right. Can I tell you my Russia joke? Yeah, there must be many going around now. There's hundreds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's this protester. He's standing protesting outside the Kremlin. He gets picked up by the police. He gets thrown into the back of the police car. He gets taken to the police station. When he arrives at the police station, the station commander said, hang on a second here. Your placard is completely blank. Why were you protesting with a blank placard? Yeah. And he said, well, you know, everyone knows what the problems are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we should print a few placards for ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah no, exactly. no, it was interesting. You know, this guy, what's his name? Prigozhin. Prigozhin, yeah. Prigozhin and his team of Wagner warriors. So it was a little bit Monty Python-esque to me. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you remember the skit in Monty Python. I forget who was attacking who, but I think it was the English pouring down on a French castle somewhere in the, in the meadows and the French start throwing bombs at them or anything. And the leader of the English, you know, in front of this thing at some point stops and says, Run away, run away, run away. You know, and I, no, I, I don't know what happened to the attempted coup, but they were guns blazing, heading off to Moscow. And then suddenly some guy pushed reverse. What happened, Tim? What do you think the deal was? What Do you think someone got scared or do you think they cut a lack of deal with China? What happened? Well, lots of possibilities here. Maybe he just lost confidence. He just didn't think he could do it. He just didn't think he could pull it off. Yeah. And the option just suddenly seemed very attractive of going into exile in Belarus. There is a story going around that they got to his family. Oh, God. Yeah. In other words, they th threatened that his family would get the chop if he sort of continued. Oh, God. But, I mean, you know, the overall, as everybody is saying, this is a kind of reflection of the chaotic situation and Putin's weakness and the unpopularity within Russia of the war. I mean, it was extraordinary that, that you know, people were egging him on. You know, he said, go, get, get, go to Moscow, take that road over there, go straight through this roadblock, it'll be fine. You know, the, <laughs> we'll show you a shortcut. Yeah, 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 exactly. And we won't tell you that they're coming, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you haven't got a, a strong reason to be at war, it's kind of hard to support sending off your young men to go die in a foreign land, fighting people they've never met before in their lives. I mean, men can be kind of stupid about this thing. <laughs> and so you have to have common purpose to fight war, okay? And it seems to me this isn't a Russian war. This is a Putin war. Yes. And so I can understand why people are going like, forget it, man. We're not behind this thing. Some of those people are our people. So the whole thing has been flawed from the outset. But this coup has severely weakened the whole thing. It's shown it up for being the farce that it is, in my view. I think it's disgraceful. Yeah, yeah. You know, it does show that in an autocracy, and particularly in Russia, I remember reading somewhere one of the... Russian writers said, you know, keeping quiet in Russia is a survival strategy. It's not a tactic. Silence is survival. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, there's no way that Putin could really know what people feel like, actually, genuinely. Yeah. You know, it's a sort of a perennial weakness with the autocracies is that the, the autocrats 
think they are much more popular than they are until, you know, suddenly they're not popular at all. (laughs) Until there's an insurrection of sorts. All right, so what next? I mean, I suppose is the question. What next? Now we've got a completely dysfunctional, unhinged Russian effort. I understand that sort of China's coming to the rescue. But I really, I've lost control of the knowledge base. Sufficient to comment on this damn thing, except to say it's not good. You know, we go through a different phase now, you know, because the actual process of war on the Russian side was lackluster now. My guess is that it's going to be even more lackluster. So, you know, Putin's hanging in there by his fingernails is my guess. Here's the problem, though. If the West see this as a weak point that they can make a move, okay, if instead of this bringing the war to the end, it escalates it to a global discussion, then, you know, you have a situation where if the one party sees an opportunity and they come out guns blazing and the other party calls its mates up, then you start talking about a much broader series of alliances that come into play. And I still haven't kind of figured out what they're fighting over other than some land, right? Some borderline. Is that right? I mean, is this all about where the border ends? Okay. And is there a huge economic prize or what, what is the worth of the human lives and economic disasters that fall out of this little inconvenient war? It is one of those sort of features of wars that both sides think that they are doing the right thing. If you try and look at it from their perspective, I suppose if you looked at it from the Russian perspective, you would say what they're fighting for is security, a sense of security. They don't want to feel as though there is an impending European invasion force on their border, which, you know, by the way, has happened, you know, once every century for the past three centuries. And if you're looking at it from the Ukrainian side, what they're fighting for is everything that countries hold dear, their self-determination, their independence. Yeah, sovereignty. Sovereignty, exactly. So, you know, there is a sense in which both sides think they are doing the right thing. Obviously, you know, I think what Russia's doing is nuts. I don't think that their security was so under threat that they had to, you know, invade a neighboring country with whom they had, by the way, signed territorial integrity treaties, not once, but twice yeah. in the past decade. So, you know. Anyway, okay, let's move on. I was just very interested in the JSE. You know, it's 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 not good. It's not bad. It's sort of kind of holding the all shares at 75,000. That's, you know, about 5% lower than its peak. But you have to say, South African stocks look cheap. God, just, it's, I mean, incredibly cheap. Are you a buyer in this market, Mark? You know, I actually read a tweet by David Shapiro, who's a wise old owl in this game, this morning. And he said, you know, if you look at it on a global scale, you know, the JSC is down 7%. I think it was year to date, while the S&P is up 7%. And the Nasdaq's up twenty eight percent. I'm talking dollars here across the across the board. Okay, right. And so, relative to the sort of you know the global stage, we seem to be quite strongly underperforming. My concern is it's sectorial. I don't think it's okay to talk about the JSE. As someone once famously referred to it as that amorphous whatever it was. Can you remember that debate? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So now it's like, well, has tech peaked? Has all of this technology-driven huge growth, has that peaked? Is mining now what mining was? Are the supply chain agreements back in sync? Are there are too many specifics, I think, to aggregate that into a view. So my view is that 
if you're looking to invest, you need to look a little deeper than the mood swing. And there can be no doubt that in South Africa, we've had a bit of a bad mood swing for the last year. You know, I think generally we've had a tough year. I think generally the uncertainties and the clouds have been overwhelming and the caution and the disinvestment from our country generally and the absence of foreign direct investment are levers that drive us differently from the global stage. And I, you know, I still don't think we're doing ourselves any favors in the, you know, invest South Africa narrative. Yeah. And we criticized them last week in France, you know. On the one hand, we said, if you remember, on the one hand, said Africa is not beggars. And then we criticized, as I got it, in Paris, the fact that the rest of the Western world hadn't helped us out. You know, so we've <laughs> got to kind of decide where we, where we go on that one. You've got unique features that don't do us any good right now. Are you surprised at how not so bad the crisis has been? If I can put it that way, are you surprised that South Africa is holding up to the extent that it is holding up? You know, shouldn't, given, you know, the high levels of load shedding, you know, the sort of general commodity downturn, shouldn't South Africa be in a worse position than it is, even though it is already in a, in a bad position, if you know what I'm saying? Well, I've always been wanting to introduce Einstein's theory of relativity into this discussion. Okay? <laughs> yes, it depends yes, on your viewpoint. It depends, <laughs> it depends on your viewpoint. Okay, so sitting where I am in my office in Hyde Park, kind of nothing's wrong. Right. Okay, everything's peaceful. The world is... Sitting in some tiny little shack in some neglected collection of houses without food... Things might not look quite as rosy. I think we have vastly different viewpoints that spread across the inequality in our country. And it depends on who you ask. And I also think, having said all of that, I think we are getting close to the bottom. I think that politics is being asked to step aside in the name of solutions. And that is what we had to have happen. There has to be a universal sense that this can't go on as it is. And I think that's already emerging. You're hearing Eskom talking about, you know, private sector generation. You're hearing what I might call partnerization rather than privatization starting to emerge as an acceptable solution. And so if all of that is starting to happen, if indeed we're facing the problem instead of each other, then I'm a big investor for what could come out of South Africa. I mean, I hope you're right. I, I just don't see the actual policy changes taking place on the ground sufficiently to make me confident. I hear you what you're saying, but there's, you know, for every step forward on the power generation front, there's a step backwards on the health policy front. If you look at the whole picture, I think actually, weirdly, the JSE is telling us very accurately where we stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that position is not actually... Currently, anyway, very good, you know, because the market is predicting the future. It's not predicting a big upturn. And I think that's accurate. Tim, you're right. The, the pollution, the, the pollution, oops, Freudian slip. <laughs> the solution. <laughs> the solution will not be found in politics. The solution to South Africa is going to be a bottom-up solution. Okay. Right. It will not be found top-down. There is too much, you know, noise about politicians and each other's lives than there is focus on the country as a whole, particularly going into an election year. I think, though, that business, even business, that animal that has rested far too quietly, in my view, even business at a local vested interest level is starting to talk to government about solutions that they need 
to, you know, get their products through the ports or deal with supply chain issues and so on. And so South Africa will be solved bottom up. When we start seeing signs of that, we'll start getting common purpose. When we've got common purpose, we'll start voting in an aligned way. Right now, it's all about color schemes and parties and personalities and old men predominantly still in power. And so that's not the solution to it. We can't look to, we should ignore the politics and get on with fixing the business here. Yes. As you would say, the pollution is in the politics. <laughs> <laughs> pollution. I think we're going to have to record that one for prosperity. Yeah, yeah no, the pollution is in the politics. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I can't watch it. In, sorry, Tim, I can't actually watch it anymore. I, I, I switch on TV and, and, and look at political commentary, not political, politicians diagnosing problems without suggesting or even beginning to understand any threads that would, could be knitted together in a solution. It's become unbearable to listen to, you know, the promises that have no foundation or even evidence of understanding. It's like we're trying to write a matric maths paper, but we're still in primary school. No, 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 I totally agree. What I don't like about it is how little it has changed. Yeah. You know, that the, I hear in the sort of political speeches today, and this is from all parties, right? I'm hearing the same sorts of things that I heard, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Whereas, you know, what I'm looking for is something that is genuinely new. I mean, that's not entirely true. You know, we should talk to some politicians, Mark, and see. What you're listening to is recitals, not diagnosis. Exactly. What you're listening to is a prepared a speech yeah. about, a, a, you know, an observed problem, not any evidence of analysis or alternatives or capital equations and so on. And so when someone's reciting something, you've got to stop listening. You know, why don't they just send you the, the note? Okay. Yeah, 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 no, so. man, there is no evidence of deep understanding that will precede the attraction of capital to viable solutions. And until our politicians or the people that they employ to advise them are in a position to impart that to the population of South Africa, they won't be vested interest and we'll remain in the mess. Now, how is that for being positive? I'm sure we're going to get responses. Yeah. On that. <laughs> Hang on a second. Yeah. You with a glass half full person when this conversation started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, talking about glasses half full. Moving on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you wanted to talk a little bit about UNISA. What catches your eye there? Well, you know, UNISA, I thought was an extraordinary South African institution, which kind of cut across lots of other impediments to broad-based learning. Okay, so you could sign up and you could, you know, in the good old days, you could post in your assignment and now you can do it all online and all that good stuff. Right. But as it turns out, now they've discovered that over 40% of the assignments put into UNISA for the last six months haven't been marked yet. Okay, so what are you, what are you supposed to do? How are you, how are you doing when it comes to the exam? Well, I don't know. I put in my assignment and no one's marked it. I mean, that's atrocious behavior, okay? And then there was discussions about putting UNISA into under administration because it cannot manage its financial affairs. And then we have lots of pomp and ceremony to celebrate their 150 years. And I'm a bit confused about this. So the academic gowns worn by people at such august functions, if I can call them that, despite the fact that they happen in June, is, you know, what are they? are they? Are they given degrees and those funny hats that they wear and the robes and the thing? I thought you only got that when you got a degree, but it seems like I saw the Minister of Higher Education wearing a gown. I saw our Deputy President wearing a different gown. I saw, obviously, the Chancellor, our previous president. 
I don't know. There's a lot of pomp and ceremony at the top. It's not functional at the bottom. And UNISA, UNISA, UNISA could be a huge player in solving our education inequality. I'm disappointed in them. Do you think that the new online academies, yeah. Udemy and, you know, the, do you think that is a longer-term solution for our education problems? I mean, it does seem to me it might not be a sort of total solution, but if you have a group of underperforming teachers, yeah. it does seem to be possible that you, you could short-circuit that problem by using international expertise through, you know, online courses of different kinds. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's the future. There's no question that that's the future. The impediments that we have to deal with is, does everyone have a smartphone or an iPad or something? Yeah. Does everyone have Wi-Fi? Does everyone, can, can everyone afford all of those sorts of things? That's the first thing. And the second, which I think is even a bigger challenge, is what is the role of chat GPT? You know, I think chat GPT could graduate across a number of disciplines in this new it's, it's, online it's, world. You know, I just hope you can get it to write a different essay than your mate put in when you're getting mocked. So online, online is the answer. It's the answer from an infrastructure cost point of view, from a dissemination, from a global, as you say, access point of view. Yeah, it is the answer. So we just got to put the checks and balances and we've got to make sure everyone can actually get online, you know. But yeah, that's the game. That's the future. Mark, we've decided to start a new section, and the section is called the number of the week. Yeah. What is your number of the week? Well, I've got two candidates, both coming out of Zimbabwe. The first one was that Zimbabwe paid the USA in a qualifier match for the World Cup cricket, and there was a guy there called Sean Phillips who scored 174 runs in 101 balls, and Zim beat the USA by a record in excess of 300 runs or something like that. That's my first thing. The 300-run new record in, in 2020 in T20 cricket. But they then usurped their own nomination in Zimbabwe by having their inflation move from a paltry 87% to a more respectable 176% per annum inflation. So that's my nomination. Will they ever solve that? It's sort of, it's just extraordinary. The only solution to that across a number of countries is barter, not currency. Yeah. We're going to go back to relative value of barter. All righty, Mark. Thanks very much. That's very interesting, of course. We will chat again next week. I hope that your predictions all come true and that... <laughs> and that we gather together and... Yeah. yeah. I can't wait for the new world. Yeah. Solve the, the pollution of politics. <laughs> okay. Let's go to live. Cheers, guys. Cheers, cheers. Next time. Bye. This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. The biggest pod network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.